And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Back to the bins. Hey everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro and I am joined once again by my good buddies, Mr. or should I say Dr. William Robinson. Mm, Dr. Bill. And returning to the big chair, Mr. Scott H. Gardner. Duh, hi there! <laughs> How you boys doing? <laughs> doing fine. I thought that'd throw you a little bit. <laughs> that's your it new, didn't throw me at all. That's your new, new intro. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that was a, I think I'm making a clip of that one. <laughs> that was a one-off. <laughs> that was it. We are here today to do our obligatory There's a Superhero movie opening, so we need to do some comics from that superhero episode. <laughs> and we're doing it today for the opening of Superman, Man of Steel. Hmm. Okay. So what are we going to get to that I... Howard the Duck episode? <laughs> hey, you know what? You guys want to do it? I'm open to do it. Not a problem. Well, somebody's just tell gonna... me when. Well, somebody's got to do a movie first. A new movie. But since we were doing Superman today, I threw out the challenge to my two buddies that it would be too, too easy to do an, a, a issues of Superman or action comics. So I said, let's try and get three Superman stories that are not Superman or action comics. And we have, and I think we have three pretty varied stories. <laughs> we'll see what, how, how they go as we do them. I'd just like to say that I failed miserably and had to go crying to Paul, Paul, find me a book. <laughs> that is true. He was crying, and I did give him a book. You gave him a good book, though. You gave him a really solid book. I picked one of, at least that in my memory, is one of my favorites. Now mm -hmm. we'll see when we review it if it holds up to the test of time. But What's, we're not getting to that yet. <laughs> I think this is going to be a lot of fun because because of your challenge... It was interesting to try to find something that I still felt really represented Superman or an aspect of his world or something like that, you know, that, that you know, was fitting for something, you know, a, a show of this nature. Yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. I picked <laughs> Superman as a jerk as the aspect I was trying to show. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I love about this is we all have different aspects. I, you know, I won't reveal what my, I think my aspect is here, but. But it's definitely a side of Superman's character, maybe a little more touching on his rogues, or not his rogues gallery, but his um, um, supporting cast than Superman himself. And then Bill's, I'm not sure, I, I guess, again, Superman's friendships, that sort of thing. But then yours is definitely Superman as a big old jerk. And I love that. It's really <laughs> Super jerk. Super jerk. <laughs> he, you know, he had super strength, super vision, super jerkness. <laughs> So I'll go ahead and uh, and dig right into mine. And there's a little bit of a backstory for mine before I get into the issue proper. Um, this is actually an issue that I had dug out a while ago because I wanted to cover it on the Superman show that I was doing, which was uh, I've got a few things to say about Superman. 
at the moment, that show is on hiatus. Um, not sure if, when it's coming back. I want to get to it again at some point, but there's just there's other things going on, and uh, well, it's it's kind of a, a complicated thing. But anyway, this was an issue that I had dug out to cover for that, and I was like, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity to cover this issue because I wasn't sure where I was going to fit it in in that show anyway. Um, you know. I've I've made something of an ongoing running gag over the course of my podcasting quote unquote career of ripping on Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and it's kind of a fifty fifty. It's like I kind of rip on him sincerely because I do think he's a pretty lame ass character, especially for being Superman's best friend. You know, he's got this creepy ginger as his best friend, but. It's also good-naturedly, you know, that's the other, the 50% is that I do deep dive, I kind of like Jimmy Olsen. I have kind of have a soft spot for him. This story, this particular issue, is largely why. Um, What I've got here is an absolutely, as Michael Bailey loves me saying, an absolutely whipped-to-shit issue of Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. This is from July 1962. It's coverless, it's water-stained, it's dog-eared, it's um, not moth-eaten, what do you call it, silverfish, it's got silverfish damage, it's got soot damage from when it went through a house fire. This is about as beat to hell as you could possibly get for a comic, and I love it. There's something about it that really adds character to it, to me, you know, for me, plus the fact that I read this comic about a billion times when I was a kid. I really do genuinely love this issue, and I never really expected I would say that about an issue of you know Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen or about Jimmy Olsen in general. But I really, really dig this story, and I hope you'll see why. This is just a simple little nine pager. This is there's actually several stories in here. There's at least three different stories in this issue. I just want to focus on the first one, which I think is I think it only runs like nine pages. Um, I had to look it up because, again, this is a coverless issue, but according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, this was uh, originally a 12-cent issue uh, written by Leo Dorfman, uh, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by George Klein. Now, again, I'm getting that all from Mike's Amazing World because there are no credits at all uh, given in the uh, story itself. And what I really like about stories from this era was that they would have a little box that would basically set up the story for you. And so this one just reads, For years now, Jimmy Olsen has been Superman's pal. Yet in all that time, Superman has never seen fit to reveal his secret identity to his trusted friend. Because his disguise as Clark Kent is one of Superman's secret weapons in his war against crime. But what if Jimmy Olsen had a chance to learn who Superman really was? Would Jimmy forget his long-lasting friendship just to satisfy his curiosity? Would he risk betraying Superman's secret? What will Jimmy do when his honor and loyalty are put to the test as Superman's Phantom Pal? Dun, 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 dun. And the story starts off, and right out of the gate, it's bizarre, because you've got Jimmy Olsen, he's at his place, he's cleaning his trophy room, and he has got some really bizarre stuff. He's got these weird vase-looking things and uh, weird busts. He's got something that looks like an alien robot. And then in this big glass case, he has what can only be called 
an abomination straight from hell. It's like a mixture of plant and alien. It's got like an alien face, like a human alien face on a plant body. It's really disturbing and creepy. Anyway, Jimmy's cleaning up his place, and he comes across this empty bottle. It's got no label on it. He sniffs it and can't recognize by the vapor smell what it was just by the you know just by the smell of it so throws it away not really thinking anything of it well it can't be that important it was just an em- empty bottle goes to work the next day at the daily planet lois lane comes storming over to his desk she's pissed it's not really jimmy's fault but there was a story printed in the daily planet and they accidentally put jimmy's byline under lois's story so she's not happy she comes over and the crazy bitch grabs a hold of his nose because I guess she's going to tweak his nose as like a sign of how angry she is at him, which I would think would be some form of harassment or something. You know, they both wind up in the HR office. But anyway, she grabs a hold of his nose and it stretches way out like a stretch Armstrong. And suddenly Jimmy realizes that the bottle that he sniffed yesterday at his apartment while cleaning up was actually his uh, stretching serum that uh, had been given to him years ago by uh, Professor Potter that temporarily turned him into the superhero, I guess, and I use that in you know air quotes, elastic lad. So the chief, uh, Perry White, gets the idea of, well, why doesn't Jimmy go ahead and, you know, since these effects will last about 24 hours, go ahead and uh, don his old costume and do a feature story on a day in the life of Elastic Lad. So Jimmy does this, heads out, and winds up at like a construction site or something for a new highway where he accidentally gets run over by an out-of-control steamroller, which, if you look at it, doesn't really... Well... No, I guess it does. I was looking at it from the back in this one panel on page three where it looks like there's a gap, but no, the front of it is the steamroller part. Anyway, he gets run over. He's crushed flat. Everybody's crying and upset, but he's elastic lad. So all it does was smoosh him flat, and then he just picks right back up again like a cartoon character, like like Doom from uh, Roger Rabbit or something. One of my favorite parts of the issue, though, is right after this happens... He sees the notorious dagger gang, and they're all dressed like French waiters or something, or like like French street artists or something. Oh. With these. Oh. <laughs> these... Wait a minute, that is my dagger. He's <laughs> vests with these daggers stuck down the front. So I hope these guys don't trip on the way out of the heist or anything, because they're going to stab themselves to death in the abdomen. You got the one dude walking around with it in his mouth. <laughs> He's he's bad. He's the baddest one of all. I have my dagger at the ready. No, he's like... (laughs) So Jimmy has basically got the powers of Plastic Man at this point, or or more, I guess, the powers of, say, the Elongated Man, could easily take these guys out with those powers, you would think. Instead, what he does is there's one of those... I don't even know how to describe this. It's one of those... Those pipes you see them put in underground for, like, drainage systems and stuff. One of those, like, coiled pipe things. So using his stretching powers, he becomes, like, very thin and snake-like and actually goes inside the coils and becomes part of the thing with just, like, his head sticking out. 
rolls down the hill and takes out the dagger gang like like ten pins basically, and then wraps them up in his elastic legs to wait for the police to arrive. Now I'm thinking this is the part of the story that could have really been awesome, where Jimmy snakes his way into this pipe, takes these guys out, and then that's the exact moment that. His elastic serum wears off, and he meets a horrible and gruesome fate. You know, because <laughs> you know that was actually a pretty stupid thing for him to do, because all he didn't drink the serum or whatever it was he was supposed to do that regularly gave him this. All he did was sniff it. So how does he know exactly when these powers are going to suddenly go away? I mean, he really. He endangered himself by doing this. This that would have been a horrible way for him to die. Of course, he could have just pushed the pipe down at the people without being incited. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. You would think he would be spun senseless from you know because you see it in the panels here. There, you know, Swan's doing that thing like the Flash with the after images, and he's really trucking by the looks of things here. You'd think he he wouldn't know which way was up by the time he crawled out of that tube. Stop him, man! Use your knives. <laughs> it won't work. He's like an armored tank. <laughs> <laughs> so then Jimmy pays a visit to the zoo. He kind of goes all over the city, basically, doing all kinds of weird stuff. He ends up hearing, overhearing, rather, a radio broadcast for severe weather, and there's this plane coming in. Oh, whoa, and... whoa, you missed the anteater. That's a cool anteater. <laughs> <laughs> or did you do, or did you do that on purpose? I kind of skipped over that because I kind of <laughs> thought where all of our minds would go if I mentioned Jimmy using his tongue to snake like a hundred yards across like this courtyard and lick Lucy Lane's <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I was going to say you could end it right there. Lick Lucy Lane's. Well, use your own imagination. Oh, he, it, it even <laughs> says stretch. His tongue, elastic elastic lad, illustrates the anteater's technique. (laughs) In order to satisfy this bratty little shit of a kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he overhears on a transistor radio uh, this weather report that there's a severe thunderstorm and flooding at the Metropolis airport. And so Jimmy stretches himself basically super tall, which... This is one of the parts of the story. These type of things with stretching characters always kind of confuse me because it's like it looks like he actually gets larger, like his foot gets larger. But that would mean wouldn't he have to like take on extra mass or or like inflate himself? I don't know. It's a little bit weird. But anyway, he gets massively super tall and super skinny, stretches up into the sky with a giant sign that he just holds up that the airplanes can see saying airport flooded proceed to the next landing field and it's at this point that it kind of gets to the point of the story overall where he sees this mysterious hole in the sky a literal hole in the sky and again because he's got his stretching powers he can make himself like pencil thin and he stretches himself into this hole and pulls himself into it and finds himself in the phantom zone and so using the abilities of you know the phantoms in the phantom zone he actually spies on perry white and learns he's actually a hen-picked husband which i thought was really funny you see perry white dressed in exactly the same clothes he wears to the office except he's wearing a yellow and pink apron he's standing at the kitchen sink 
washing dishes with a stogie in his mouth. I just find that hysterical. His wife comes out and beats his butt because uh, there's (laughs) There's there's ashes on my dish, you jerk. (laughs) (laughs) He he spies on uh, Lucy Lane, who I guess is kind of, uh, it turns out, like a closet Jimmy Olsen fan here. She's got her little Jimmy Olsen collection of memorabilia and stuff, which is like... She's hmm? got the picture of him with a bow tie. With a bow tie, the the yeah. <laughs> what a what a sad sad existence. Oh, I didn't even mention the kids that uh, they they back in the page where uh, he was at the construction site. The reason he got ran over by the steamroller was that there was those kids that were playing uh, football and they they threw their football down into a hole in the ground while Jimmy was reaching down to retrieve the football. That's when he got ran over. They say that they're members of the Jimmy Olsen fan club. Aren't you? I'm just thinking, what a what a freaking sad existence these kids have that, I mean, were the 60s, the early 60s that rough that, that that's the best you could do? <laughs> Wasn't that the era of, like, the astronauts and stuff like that, that that's Jimmy just, Olsen? That's just silly. I would never be a member of the Jimmy Olsen fan club. I've too busy being part of the Rick Jones fan club. <laughs> Obviously, this is pre-OSHA because you got kids running around on a construction site. <laughs> no safety, so, no nothing. So Jimmy's having fun just kind of flittering here and there, spying on all of his friends, when suddenly he senses these uh, sinister, evil-looking characters, he calls them, sneaking up on him behind, from behind, and he turns around, and they greet him using telepathy because that's how everybody communicates in the Phantom Zone. And he's confronted by Jaxer, Professor Vacox, and Dr. Zadu, Phantom Zone villains. And uh, there's a little bit of threatening going on and everything, but it's, eventually Monel comes to him and says, you know, hey, don't pay any attention to those guys. They can't hurt you while you're in here. And, uh, and Monel basically makes friends with, uh, with Jimmy Olsen. And I get the impression, although I'm not 100% sure, but I get the impression this is actually the first time that Monel and Jimmy Olsen uh, meet each other, which is actually pretty cool. So, story goes on, and the Phantom Zone villains eventually, they give Jimmy the opportunity to, if, if he's such a great friend of Superman, then you know why doesn't he know Superman's secret identity and everything? So they give him the opportunity to basically spy on Superman while he's on a mission up to the point where the mission is over and they can see, they can observe him as he redresses himself in his Clark Kent disguise. So they're standing and they're watching and Superman looks like he's, I don't know, like at the docks or something and he's, he's putting his clothes on. He's standing there. He's got just his, you know, his work pants on and Jimmy, at first, he's really excited about this. He says, you know, after all, you know, he says, uh, after all, we've known each other for years. And he says, oh, well, in a second, I'll know the answer, uh, the answer to the best kept secret on Earth. And then he has a little moment of doubt. And he says, wait a minute. He says, Superman's my friend. Is it fair for me to spy on him? After all, he's uh, trusted me. What would he think of me? And yet I've waited so long for this chance. I can't resist the temptation. And you turn the page and you see Clark Kent fully dressed now. You know, glasses, he's got his, uh, you know, his whole suit on. He's adjusting his tie. He's walking away. And uh, Jaxer says, well, Olsen, now you know who Superman really is. We fooled you into double-crossing your best friend. And 
you can see by the look on Jimmy's face, he feels really ashamed of himself. He's got a, you know, he's sad face and everything. And while he still has his powers of elasticity, he uh, goes back down through the hole and back out into the real world. And he ends up writing up a story about his adventures. And he's talking to Lois Lane about it back at the Daily Planet the next day. And Clark Kent overhears this and realizes that Jimmy now knows his secret identity. And he thinks to himself, it's a catastrophe. He says, I have to find a new identity and change my whole life. My career as Clark Kent is finished. I'll have to leave here and start anew elsewhere. Or I could just burn a hole in the back of Jimmy's head. I'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) Throw him into the sun. There you go. Right into the sun with Jimmy Olsen. But Lois asks him, she says, Jimmy, she says, you must have discovered who Superman really was while you were in the Phantom Zone, yet there's no word here about it. And Jimmy tells her, and this is the part I really love in this story, he says, that's right, Lois, he says, I had a chance to learn Superman's secret, but at the last moment, I closed my eyes and turned my head away. And if you look back at that panel where Clark Kent's walking away fully dressed, you can see that that is actually what Jimmy's doing that he actually did close his eyes and turn his head away. Although, at the time, if you're reading this story without knowing what's coming, it, it looks more like he's ashamed of what he's done. But here he reveals that, no, he actually didn't look. And I, I just I really like that touch. He, he continues, he says, uh, I felt that if Superman uh, has always wanted to keep his identity from us, he had a good reason for doing it. And Clark, pretending that he's curious, uh, like Lois is, he says, Jimmy, do you mean to tell me that you deliberately gave up a chance like that? Why, it could be the biggest scoop of the century. And uh, Jimmy says, Superman's my best friend. Do you think I'd trade that friendship for a mere scoop? And Lois says, Jimmy Olsen, if I had a chance to unmask Superman, I'd go through with it. Of course, I'd never reveal the secret to anyone else. But think, Lois, Jimmy says... Once you had the information, any uh, criminal might force it from you by hypnosis or by using a truth serum. Superman is devoting his life to fight against evil, and both of you are his good friends. Uh, would risk betraying him just to satisfy your curiosities? You should both be ashamed. And, of course, they both, you know, of course, Clark Kent's faking it, but they both basically say, you know, you're, you're right. We never really thought about it that way. And so then later in the day, at a Jimmy Olsen fan club meeting, Jimmy uses his his signal watch, which I've always said in the past, Superman must really regret giving to this guy because Jimmy does frequently call him for stupid, stupid shit. You know, it yeah, really Superman should have smacked the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> you think I got time to come here because your fan club is meeting? You exactly. little piece of shit. Smack. <laughs> but in this case... Jimmy hasn't called him for an emergency necessarily. He has called Superman just to prove to the little kids in the Jimmy Olsen fan club that he is actually Superman's friend. But because he's privy to what Jimmy did, or rather didn't do in this story, he doesn't seem upset about it. And he actually tells the the gathering, he says, that's right, fellas. He says, I have a few friends closer to me than Jimmy Olsen. There's no sacrifice he wouldn't make. For our friendship and then superman thinks to himself i learned that a few hours ago as clark kent and uh, you see jimmy just kind of blushing in the background and you know beaming with pride and the issue basically ends not with jimmy but with superman and he kind of does the whole you know wrap wrapping it up you know summation of his thoughts about his friends and everything 
But really, for me, the story could have ended right there in that panel with uh, with Superman telling those kids that and Jimmy beaming with pride. I, I love this story. It's hard for me to define exactly why, but I think ultimately it's because of that friendship angle. I really like that, that, that presented with that opportunity, Jimmy still did the right thing. You know, if I were Jimmy, I'd question, well, you know, if I'm really your friend, why don't you share this with me? And as I think we'll probably end up discussing with Paul's story, I don't think that the Silver Age um, explanation for why Superman even had a secret identity washes exactly when everybody knows who your best pal and your girlfriend and all these people are. What the hell difference does it make whether you marry the girl or not? She's in danger just by being known as your girlfriend type of thing. But regardless of all that, I, I like this story for, you know, the message of friendship that's here that, you know, that Jimmy did the right thing. And I, I it's just it's just an enjoyable story to me. And I could be wrong, but I think this was the earliest Phantom Zone story I ever read as a kid, too. So it introduced me to. Um, you know, characters like uh, Jaxer and uh, Professor Vacox, and I think I knew who Monel was ahead of time. But uh, again, I think this is the first meeting between uh, between him and Jimmy, or at least Monel presents it as if it is, because he tells him, you know, he tells Jimmy, well, you know, I'm Monel, friend of Superman, blah blah blah, and tells the whole thing, so why he's in the zone, being a good guy and not a criminal. But that's pretty much all I got on this one. What did you guys think of this story? I like it. I like it. I, I think, you know, you got to read Silver Age stories as Silver Age stories. You can't mm-hmm. read them with a modern sensibility because otherwise, you know, they just don't fit. But when you read it, you know, through the eyes of 1962, uh, you know, it's it's just fun. And uh, this, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's the problem today is, and we've talked about this so much that I, I hate to keep beating a dead horse. But, you know, when you spend the three ninety nine for a, for a book... You can't just have a simple, fun story. It has to be, you know, something meaningful or something with repercussions that go on forever. Uh, this one actually has some, like you, like you pointed out, it has some meaningful stuff in it. Uh, but it's not a earth-shattering story. Uh, it's just fun. Uh, the cover to me, which yours is gone. Right. Uh, cover to me is poorly laid out. I'm looking at it. It yeah. almost looks like somebody had Superman color forms and put it together. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, I'm looking at it on uh, on Mike's site, and uh, yeah, you know, after all these years of owning this book coverless and everything, to finally see what the cover was on it, I'm I'm sorely disappointed. It's not a very well laid out cover. One last thing for for me on this one is, uh, if you look at page six of the last story in the book, I think Jimmy was. Uh, after spying on Lucy in his phantom form, I think he was really banking on the fact that she seemed like she was really infatuated with him secretly. So he shows her his trouser snake in that third story, and she just <laughs> runs away screaming. I, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. <laughs> if you think I'm kidding, folks, I'm not. Look it up. Well, there it is. You know, you, you're spying on Lucy Lane... I'm thinking it could have gotten a lot more evil than it is. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Well, I uh, I think Jimmy needs to be the uh, needs to do some PSAs on the dangers of sniffing things from bottles. <laughs> oh, an empty bottle. Hmm. I don't know what this was, but it sure <laughs> smells good. Look at the colors, man. <laughs> Whoever he is, he sure talks gloomy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I'm wondering if uh, the souvenirs that they show in that one panel are actual callbacks to other issues, or if it's just stuff that Kurt Swan threw together. My guess would be the latter, except maybe for Abomination, Abomination Plant Man. That looks like it could actually be from something, but everything else I would doubt very much. But you never Seaweed know. Seaweed Man? Yeah, isn't he creepy looking? <laughs> He's very creepy looking. <laughs> that is nightmare inducing, I swear. I like to think that they are actual callbacks, though, because I think that's just cool. It, if, you it know, could be. It if could they're be Easter really eggs of some sort. So, do you think somebody was going to use that coil, the boiler pipe, for a still? <laughs> That's a lot moonshine, of moonshine, baby. <laughs> I I, uh, I look at the the you know when he finally got to drawing Superman in the issue because it's very Jimmy focused. Mm-hmm. But I, when I look at like uh, in page eight of the story, I guess it is, uh, you see Clark Kent. It, it almost looks. Like it was a different character model than than Kurt Swan was using in the seventies. Uh, it looks, you know, more more similar to kind of the Wayne Boring look with the higher forehead. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's got the receding hairline there. Yeah, that very last panel of the book, Superman arms akimbo, standing on the rock, is very Wayne Boring. That's also very end of the Adventures of Superman TV show. True. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's really not much Superman at all. I mean, Superman proper, there's really what, like maybe four panels, five panels. But the one of uh, when we first see Superman where he's welding the bridge with his heat vision is actually really cool. I like that shot. I like that a lot. I have taken a lot of flack over uh, over the years for uh, my perceived slights of Kurt Swan. And it's just not true. I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. I think where that comes from is that I've often said that he overstated his, his welcome on the character or overstated his, uh, I guess welcome is probably the best way to put it. And I stand by that. I think he stayed on the character too long. I stay, I, you know, but I think the same thing a lot of, about a lot of great artists. I think uh, Jim Aparo on Batman is another great example. I think he just stayed past his ability to deliver the goods like he used to. But that's never to say that I, I ever thought he was bad or he wasn't good. I mean, this is this is the Superman I grew up with. I love, you know, uh, Kurt Swan Superman. And again, this is one of my favorites. Um, I guess you'd have to call it a Superman family story because it's not really Superman because it's not Superman-centric. So it's not really one of my favorite Superman stories. This is one of my, one of my more, you know, one of my favorite uh, Superman related stories but i do dig this one i really do i think i think it's interesting for kurt swan uh the the thing i can point to to compare kurt swan is in the original run first story arc of the new teen titans in whatever that was 1979 or so uh it was a six i think it was about a six issue story arc uh that george perez drew but issue five if my memory is correct was it was a Kurt Swan issue because mm-hmm. Perez just couldn't keep up with the production. Right. And when you look at Kurt Swan in comparison to George Perez, he's not as dynamic. He's not as uh, he looks just, like a dinosaur. Yeah, he does. But as a whatever I was at the time, sixteen-year-old reading it, it was fine. Like there was nothing about it where I said, really? "Oh, this isn't uh, as good as the other stuff." Wow, that <laughs> surprises me because I thought you were going to say because my reaction. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. And again, coming from my growing up with with this guy as Superman artist, 
when I would see that, and it would be Kurt Swan doing a, a, a Perez tie, it would just annoy the hell out of me. I would just look at it and go, oh my God, you know, why, why did they... Because there's such incredibly diverse styles from two completely different eras of comics that to mm-hmm. me it's it's a total just smack in the it's, it's like watching the special editions of the star wars that all that new stuff just jumps out and smacks you this is the other end of the spectrum you've got this guy who's the latest greatest thing you know you know in the world of comics doing this incredibly visually dynamic book and then all of a sudden you get a fill-in issue by you know, I hate to say it, but you know, the old guy, the the old fogey who'd been on Superman for you know a hundred years, and it's just like smack. It, it really takes you out of that. And yeah, I, and I'm not would... trying to say that that it that it compares to Perez's work at the time, Mm-mm. but it didn't bother me. Really, it, it, wow! Really really when it was that. coming out, and I was buying it a month at a time because I was buying it off the stands. I didn't get issue number five and say, "Oh, this sucks. They ruined the story." <laughs> I, I read it and it just carried on, and then I got issue six, and I, you know, I was happy to have Perez back because I was aware of George Perez at the time, and I was aware of, you know, his his up and coming nature, which at the time, you know, he had already done the Avengers, and he was making his his name even bigger on the Titans at that time. Uh, but it, you know, like I said, it was fine. It, 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 you know, it carried the story on. It was not nearly as dynamic, but it was, you know, it was okay. Didn't bother me. You guys are looking at this from. Uh from digital files, right? Yeah. Does it have the ads in it? Uh, no. Well, there's huh. some. There's some for advertisements for some other comics. Is uh, this one for the Superman? There's, it says here, Giant Superman Annual, but I cannot read what number this is. I've got to find this. This looks really good. At the end? No, it's it's at the end of the first story. But it's between the story I just reviewed and then the next story is uh, Jimmy Olsen's duel with Goliath. <laughs> But uh, this uh, one looks really cool. I love the art on the cover of this giant Superman annual. It looks really, really cool. I'm going to have to track this down. It looks very interesting. Uh, the only ad we got is the that I, I have is the one at the end with uh, for other coming super attractions. And one of them is the uh, yeah. Adventure Comics on sale May 29th. Funny, fantastic. The fat Superboy. Lena Lang <laughs> becomes a fatty, too. <laughs> You've got the huge Superboy lifting a table. <laughs> It's a table full of chicken. <laughs> mm, chicken. <laughs> and a diet soda. <laughs> hey, I'm drinking diet soda. <laughs> what's, on, what's on the cover of the Superman Annual? It's it's divided up very strangely. It's got all right three panels underneath the logo, and the first one says Jimmy Olsen's Krypton Adventure, which I actually want to read. That he's got a co- he's wearing a costume that looks. A lot like a cross between the original Lightning, Lightning Lad costume and Jarrell's costume. Then the next one is Invaders of Krypton with these reptilian-looking bug-eyed guys. They kind of look like the the Martians from uh, Mars Attacks. Then you've got Futuro Hero, and then there's a strip across the middle that uh, you know the best way to describe it, it almost looks like uh, desktop wallpaper. It's a really great uh, picture of Baby Kal-el. He's holding up this like ring of fire or something for Crypto to jump through while Jarrell and Lara. It's kind of an electric, on. an electric hula hoop. Something like that, yeah. 
And then at the bottom, again, it's three panels. Again, you've got Jarrell's robot. Jarrell's robot is really shit looking. He looks Jarrell's like robot could hang out with the uh, seaweed man. <laughs> he looks like something from like a 30s cereal or something. You've got Super Monkey. They don't even call him Beppo. It is Beppo, but they just call him Super Monkey. And then you've got Klaxar, villain. This is one of those. This is one of those reprint issues with a, you know eight different stories in it. Probably this is an all-star collection. Yep, there you go. Of stories featuring the Super Family on Krypton. Cool. It actually looks really neat. But I was not aware that Jimmy had actually ever spent time on Krypton. I guess I shouldn't have been because I know at one time or another I think everybody got to go back to Krypton. <laughs> for a country, for, for a country, for a world that doesn't exist anymore. A lot of people got to go and visit it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and is, you know, whatever, billions of miles away. And underneath that, there was a one of those old ads for uh, for the free rides at Palisades Park. Pay one price? It's, uh, so let's see, it's Superman in this one. It's a, I think it's a Wayne Boring Superman. It says, be my guest at Palisades Park, uh, New Jersey. It says, uh, this coupon entitles you to free admission plus two free rides. Packs and parking worth sixty-five cents. Woo! Hey, that's a lot of money back then. Free ride on the caterpillar. Free ride on the jet plane. Guess they didn't have the Himalaya back then. <laughs> the Himalaya. All right, I think it's time for your awesome, awesome issue, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I picked. Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, number one twenty-eight. Or did it pick you? (laughs) (laughs) I picked it based on the cover alone. I like this cover for whatever reason. I think I may have had this issue when it was brand new when it first came out because I just thought it was a cool cover. Yeah, but where Uh, will we see this cover again in nineteen eighty-five? Yes, we will see it over and over and over again. This is an iconic pose. That you see all the time. I looked up and I found that the cover is drawn by Bob Oskner. Oskner I'm not yeah. familiar with him to speak of. Uh, like I said, I, I remember this as being kind of iconic. Uh, and it's kind of uh, evidence that you can't judge a book by its cover. Uh, <laughs> the cover has the classic pose we've seen on so many covers over the years. of The hero holding someone's lifeless body in his, you know, cradled in his arms. In this instance, it's Superman cradling Lois's lifeless body, which is dressed in a tattered wedding gown, and he's got tears in his eyes, and he's saying, Lois, killed on our honeymoon, and it's all my fault. And the crowd behind him includes Green Lantern and Batman and Hawkman and Aquaman and Black Canary and The Flash, uh, most of whom do not appear in the story at all. Uh, it was, uh, what did I say the date? It was December 1972, and it had a $0.20 cover price. Now, I think I have found a, a hidden gem here in that uh, this is the first time I ever tried to look up a book on Mike's Amazing World and could not find it on there. So Really? That, that shocked me, unless I just did a poor search for some reason. But, whatever the case may be, I did try and do some search on it, and uh, I found contrasting information one source told me that it was written by carrie bates and another one said it was written by e nelson bridwell uh but they were consistent in that the penciler and again this is like your story scott that there was no credits inside the book for who wrote and drew it but the uh source i had said that it was drawn by john rosenberger 
and inked by our old friend Vinnie Coletta. The story is called Death Waits to Kiss the Bride. And the splash page shows the wedding of, the wedding of Superman and Lois. Lois is in her wedding gown and Superman is in his costume. Jimmy Olsen is the best man and he's dressed in a stylish cutting edge 70s type tuxedo. And in the pews we see Batman and Aquaman sitting there in their costumes. Following the wedding, we joined two women, and I had to look them up also. I was on, wasn't familiar with them. Apparently, they are Julie Spencer and Marsha Mello. Yes, that's right, Marsha Mello, uh, who were apparently Lois's roommates who were introduced uh, a couple of issues earlier. And they're talking about how Lois finally cornered Superman and how he didn't have a chance, which is really the way to embrace the women's live movement. Uh, outside of the chapel, a truck is headed straight for a woman and a baby carriage. And the truck has the words explosives and danger written across it, just in case the imminent threat wasn't uh, enough and was just a little too subtle for the readers. Uh, the panel is drawn in a very, very weird perspective, as if it's drawn by M.C. Escher. Uh, Superman swoops <laughs> down. You, did, did you see the panel I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, it just he, needs some stairs somewhere, and it would be Yeah, perfect. really. Yeah, it's, it's just very peculiar looking. Uh, <laughs> Superman swoops down and, and carries off the mother in the carriage, but then for good measure, he uses his heat measure, his heat vision to melt the truck, melt the truck and condemn the driver to a death of molten slag. <laughs> <laughs> and having dealt with the menace, Superman is impatient and leering at Lois, clearly thinking that he's finally going to get him some of that. And so our happy couple drive off in the Batmobile, of all things, to the Honeymoon Manor, conveniently located in the mountains. And As they check in, the bellhops look overburdened with all of Lois's lug- luggage, so Superman decides to torture them a little further by, insta- by making them carry all of the luggage as he flies them to the room, rather than just take the luggage himself. He then carries Lois over the threshold and has any thoughts that he has of consummating the marriage thwarted by an announcement that there's a get-acquainted party. At the party, the honeymoon couples are doing what all newly married couples do, play musical chairs. Mm-hmm. Then they go, sailing, they go sailing with another couple. And that Is that evening, a euphemism? <laughs> no, they really play musical chairs, as ridiculous as it is. Uh, they, they go sailing with another couple, and then that evening there's a special dance that all of Lois and Superman's friends, including Batman and Aquaman, are attending this party at their honeymoon, because everybody wants all their friends at their honeymoon. Lois and Superman win a dance contest, and Lois is given a silver charm bracelet, which promptly explodes, and Superman announces that she's dead. Everybody's just standing around, oh, yeah, look, Lois is dead. So, you know, they, obviously she's not quite as loved as one might think. But at this point, we flash back to the wedding, where even though Lois is at the altar getting married, she's also running up the aisle demanding that the wedding be stopped, but no one seems to be aware of her presence. Lois is getting frustrated by this, and we have a flashback within the flashback. Lois and Superman are at the beach, and she's in a bikini, kind of looking hot, and he's laying in the sand in his full costume. He tells her that he can't marry her because she would become a target for his enemies. Proving that getting married doesn't matter at all as far as that theory goes, Lois goes goes swimming and is attacked by two frogmen. She's rescued by Superman, but says she still wants to marry him despite the danger. And he uses his super ability to change the subject at that point and gives her a ring for the anniversary of the day that they met. 
She falls asleep in his arms, but then wakes up to a new radio news report that Superman and Lois are getting married. She rushes to the chapel, and we're back to the point we were at in our original flashback. She watches Superman and the duplicate Lois drive off with tears in her eyes. She follows them to the honeymoon manor and watches as the bracelet explodes, apparently killing her double. At this point, she removes the ring that Superman gave her and starts to walk away, but now, miraculously, people can see her. The men that gave Lois the exploding bracelet say that Superman tricked them by bringing in a duplicate. Not to be thwarted, one of them has a laser eye under an eye patch. And, but Superman disables him by swinging the lifeless Lois, his body, at them. Right into <laughs> his crotch. <laughs> the real Lois is outraged, but then we find out that it was only a robot. And now it's time for yet another flashback. We travel back in time to the beach again, where Superman is thinking in expository fashion about how the ring he gave her is made of a unique metal. I think it's a metal called Deus Ex Machina. Uh, <laughs> that places her in a parallel d- dimension where only he can see her with his supervision. He then quickly put together a Lois robot because it's easy to do that and fool everybody. And we end with Lois declaring that she still doesn't care and wants to marry him and doesn't want to end up with an ordinary guy like Clark Kent showing that she's as superficial as humanly possible uh, to match Superman's jerkiness. So the perfect I read. Yeah, they really are. It's the big jerk and the superficial bitch. Uh, <laughs> that I read totally this. needs to be a TV show. I would watch that. <laughs> That's what they should have called Lois and Clark. That that had made me stick around if they called it that. I read this one, and what I kept being left with was the thought that this was a Silver Age story, and this is what DC was doing in 1972, whereas Marvel had clearly moved into the Bronze Age already and was trying to do things more serious than this. You know, this is coming out somewhere around the time that Gwen Stacy is getting killed. So Marvel is doing these serious, you know, heart-wrenching stories, and Superman is creating Superman uh, Lois Lane robots and throwing her into parallel dimensions where only he could see her. So it took DC a while to catch up to Marvel at this point. And, mm-hmm. But I do think, like I said with Scott's story, you got to read these books and take them for the t- time and era that they were written in. Uh, and a lot of it was written with no thought as to, would he really do this? <laughs> you know, there's just never a consideration of that. You know what? I just have a good idea that he's going to create this robot to fool her because she, all she cares about is marrying Superman and there's nothing else that's important to her. And it's just silliness. But there also seems to be a blending at this time of not only that Silver Age mentality, but also, like, I think they tried in the Lois Lane book to have a little bit of that romance comedy, romance comedy, romance comic type of storyline going. Yeah. You know, it it, kind of has Silver Age, romance comic, and a little Betty Betty and Veronica mixed into it. What'd you guys think of this one? Oh, I'll let Bill go first, because I've got (laughs) just a list. Uh, there's there's just a lot of good scenes in here, like the uh, when he goes to blow up a breeze and it takes the whole sailboat out of the water, <laughs> almost takes out a couple people. Yeah, it was I Superman, mean, the clumsy oaf at the, at the on the honeymoon. Yes, yeah, he smashes the chair. Uh, uh, I sat on the chair too hard. <laughs> uh, 
He's not Superman the, Superman the retard. Yeah, uh, he, he very much is in this part. But can can we can we call Honeymoon... What is the name of this place? Honeymoon Manor. Honeymoon Haven or whatever? I think it was Honeymoon Manor. Manor, okay. Can we, can we call it what it is? It's a swingers club, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Am I right here? Yeah. I don't know. You know what? If I went to a swingers club and they played musical chairs, unless it's whoever you're sitting near you're sleeping with, I don't want to go back there. Well, they all had to put their keys with the with the guy on the stage right there before they started this. What? <laughs> Never mind. No. And, and, <laughs> okay, just keep going. I was reading. I'm like, I don't see anything about putting their keys. No, 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 no. Just keep going. Okay. <laughs> That's a joke, boy. Don't you get it? It's a joke, son. It's a joke, son. Pay attention. <laughs> so. Did Superman take the nitro out of the truck before he melted it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoosh! I mean, that thing should have gone up like a... I mean, that should have taken out the whole block. <laughs> Along and with what the, about the, what the, about the drive? drive? Well, I don't know. It says... Wait a minute. The, it's a runaway... It, no, that, no, it was a runaway explosives truck. There was nobody in it. It just got up and started on its own. <laughs> and in, in the first panel of the truck is the... You know, MC Escher shot. The second panel, it looks like it's falling from the sky. sky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Some weird perspective in this book. On the first panel, does Aquaman have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> I mean, oh, come on, marry you quick. I mean, go. Well, well, one, he's Aquaman, so he's always thinking of the water to begin with. God, all oh, the ocean. No, don't think Batman. of the ocean. <laughs> Look at Batman. He's sitting there pouting with his arms crossed across his, his chest slash lap. He is clearly pouting, going, damn it, I saw him first. He was my <laughs> friend first. I think he's looking at his watch going, are we done yet? Can Jesus. I get out of here? And yeah, look, well, if, you, if you look at the panel of the flashback of that same scene, Green Lantern is clearly asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what were they sitting there? We're yeah. all working. <laughs> Look at him, he's passed out. Was in the, in, the, in, the, in the shot when Lois is trying to talk to them, he's sitting like a like a preschooler with his hands on his knees. <laughs> Pay attention, Green Lantern, there'll be a quiz. And was uh, was Aquaman not married at this point? I think she was. I think I oh, I think he was rather. I think he was married in the 60s and this is in the 70s. Where the hell is Mara at she gets to skip the wedding and why is only three justice leaguers there? Well, they're all on the cover. There's there's you know, you got Black Canary, you got Flash, mm-hmm. and you got Hawkman who none of them were in the book itself. Okay, look look back on the first page. You got Batman, Lois's uh roommate and Lex Luthor. Yeah, I saw that. But, it, but if you turn, but then if you go to the next page, it's Lex Luthor again. Got, no, but he's got the ring of hair. Yeah, well, yeah, and then with the next one down, he's suddenly Gene Hackman with a full head of hair. <laughs> I, I, I get a kick out of the roommate's name is Marsha Mello. <laughs> they call her Marsha Mello. That's right. Gee. <laughs> so did Superman pick up the bellboy so he wouldn't have to tick? You know, boy, you're having trouble carrying all this. Why don't you carry it while you're trying to balance as I'm carrying you by your collar? <laughs> hey, Superman, I can't, I can't breathe. <laughs> he could have grabbed them by the seat of their pants. <laughs> and then they, they walk into the room. As he's walking in the room, there's already the announcement coming through that they have to go to the uh, 
get acquainted party. What are they? And it looks like the announcement's coming out of the lamp. Are they in Patrick McGowan's The Village from The Prisoner? <laughs> Attention, all honeymooners! Look Look at the, the panel where he's walking into the room carrying her over the threshold. Look at the perspective in that one. This has got some really <laughs> weird perspective. Oh, yeah, that... That's like a freaking fun house or some of the doors crooked. I'm telling you, they went to the village. <laughs> and what the hell are they taking the Batmobile up there for? I think I think you know, I missed the first time where he said, Oh, well it was nice of Batman to lend us the Batmobile and then I saw it in the second one where they don't mention that and I was thinking, Oh wow, nice, he just stole the Batmobile. See ya, Batman. Hey, how am I getting home? Get back you here. You skip you, past the part in the in the panel that's the Escher painting right there, where Superman's racing after the explosives danger truck. <laughs> There's nobody outside to greet them as they're leaving the chapel. Aren't aren't they supposed to be pelted with like kryptonite rice or something? What what, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Well, There's nobody out there but this woman and her baby that are about to get run over. Well, because no, this, nobody there's a fire hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> Because nobody could stand on the sidewalk. They all slid down the sidewalk. Oh! Yeah, this, this poor mother trying to go up this hill. God, this kid's heavy. What the hell they go all the way to San Francisco to get married for? I don't know. It's like a 90-degree angle. And then when he's melting the truck, look, look, look at the angle of the church, the steeple. It's like tilted it's falling over. over. He's yeah. probably melted the base. <laughs> the whole church is falling. <laughs> I like that Funky Flashman's the guy that runs the Honeymoon Haven here. That's pretty cool. <laughs> honeymoon Manor, rather. Doesn't he look like a like a talk show host or like a game show host or something? And I'm figuring since uh, Superman took the Batmobile up there, when Batman came to Superman's honeymoon, he had to come in the Aquamobile. Aquamobile, which is shaped like a giant dolphin. <laughs> and, and you hit the horn. <laughs> and what 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 happens to his plan? What what happens to his plan if they don't try and kill Lois on the honeymoon? Does he have to stay married to the robot and leave Lois in the parallel dimension until somebody tries to kill her? What if she killed herself before she even got there? Because nobody could see me. Oh, I'm gonna end it all. And then he's like, "What? It, where's Lois?" What if uh, it took him to the second night to try and kill it? Would he have to, you know, since since Lois can come in in the, in the parallel dimension and just not be seen, would he have to have sex with the robot just to kind of show that he's really, you know, it's really going on? <laughs> He'd take one for the team? Yeah, why not? It would be a grudge sex. He would hate it the whole time. <laughs> and, and he'd be looking right at the uh, other Lois going, ah, I can see you, ah, ah. Another funky perspective shot is when Lois is driving to the Honeymoon Manor. She looks like she's going to come careening right off the road. <laughs> well, if nobody can... So she can touch... Well, wait a minute. How can... All right, wait a minute. She was hanging <laughs> on to the... She was hanging on to the Justice Leaguers in, in the church, right? Well, mm -hmm. maybe not, because I'm well, thinking... She's not really touching no. them. So how could she drive a car that, if she can't be seen? That would be rude. Like, I mean, I, I thought she was intangible, too, but I guess not, you know. Why am I trying to figure out a Silver Age story? <laughs> when she throws the ring and walks away, you could get the sad Hulk music. Look, it's Lois. I'm looking and I see two Loises, only one of which is dead. Now, how can they see two Loises when they're looking in the opposite direction of the one that's dead? <laughs> 
I mean, it would be different if she appeared next to them. But I see two Loises. No, you see one Lois walking away. Wouldn't that scare the bejesus out of you? It's a ghost. That's a, her, yeah, her, her soul's walking away. You know, to, <laughs> to the Hulk music. It's a ghost. Kill it. <laughs> I did Superman. like when Superman swung the lifeless body at them. Bong. <laughs> at, at laser eye guy. That's one, you know, when you talk about the uh, different rogues galleries, oh, you know, Batman has this great rogues gallery, Flash has this great rogues gallery, Superman's got laser eye guy. Poor Superman. But I always carry a second ace up my sleeve. No, it's in your eye. Does he look just a little bit like, uh, like, um, Steve Austin? (laughs) With blondish hair. Or ginger hair. Because that would be his bionic eye, right? Yeah. Hmm. It's 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 really the beam really isn't going straight at his eye. It's kind of going up. Duck everybody before it cuts you in half. <clears throat> it's a pretty sick issue. Just to to mention, there is a second story in this book, uh, Rose and Thorn, uh, which I, I honestly didn't even read, so I can't give you any details on it. it. Looks like it's drawn by maybe Don Heck. I'm not sure. Did not read that one. Hmm. I, I'm yeah, not, I think yeah, you're right. I think that is Don Heck. Yeah, I was never a fan of, of Rose and Thorn. Interesting concept. I just the the execution never really uh, never gripped me somehow. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get letters. <laughs> we've got mail. We've got mail. <laughs> and it's all got- the hate kind. <laughs> You guys got anything else on this one, or should we go to a good one? Oh, my God. No, that's pretty good. Let me see. Did I miss anything? Because I don't think I did. Let's see here. Um, No, that's that's fine. We'll go ahead and skip on to the next one, because, man, I I could go all day with this one. This, I, I had a... I'm glad you picked this because I did have a hoot reading this when I was just like, oh my god, I'm going to get brain damaged by the end of this one. It's so goofy. Well, that's, that seems to be my role when we have these theme shows is to pick the goofy one. I had the first man, <laughs> Mandarin and the Iron Man show. I had the Gold Key Star Trek one. I'm just the goofy book guy. With Harry Mudd, no less. <laughs> Wait, is she intangible or is she just... In- I don't know. Because she's they grabbing his cape. Yeah, and but he... Yeah, because but, but, it's you hear her. Well, he he would just ignore her, cause, you know, be like. Ah. Yeah, but all she has to do is tap somebody on the shoulder, and then all of a sudden, right? Say, hey, and they'll jump, on? they'll jump like they're shot. What the? What's that? <laughs> oh my god! Okay, if you can stop your head from hurting long enough, let's go to our third book. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I I thank you, Paul, for this book. I I enjoyed this book. I have not read a lot of DC Comics Presents, and this was pretty fun. So, my book is DC Comics Presents, number 14, cover date October 1979. Uh, On sale date was July 2nd, 1979. Price 40 cents. Cover credits is Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano. A couple of dicks. Well, you know, we gotta. Uh, we, gotta coming. <laughs> we gotta offend one segment, we gotta offend the other segment. So, anyway, our story, and we have Superman and Superboy, and a great cover of Superman and Kryptonite Chains, and uh, Superboy firing a Kryptonite shell at Superman, and uh, Jimmy looking on, saying that by firing that Kryptonite shell, Superboy will kill himself. 
And so we have to see what is the sensational secret that allows Superman and Superboy to exist at the same time. And our story is um, Judge, Jury, and No Justice, written by Paul Levitz, penciler Dick Dillon, anchor Dick Giordano, letterer Todd Klein, colorist Jerry Serpe, Serpe? Serpe, Serpe, Serpe. editor Julius Schwartz. And we um, we have a, a first page. Uh, we basically have Superboy smashing through Welcome to Smallville, hometown of Superboy, and then and then it's just, uh, we lead into um, we lead next into Metro- downtown Metropolis, where Clark Kent and Lois are are in attendance at a trial, and Clark is taking his usual ribbing from Lois. Um, about his lack of journalistic instincts. She goes to leave, and Clark follows, but before they can go through the door, Superboy smashes in through the door and attacks Clark. And Clark is understandably stunned to see his younger self. Uh, He falls back into a pile of rubble where he does a quick change into Superman and comes up, returns into the room, and Fighty McFightenstein ensues, copyright Andrew Leyland. And uh, Superboy gets the better of his elder, or himself, or whatever, however you want to see it. Um, seeing Lois leap leap towards the two, Superboy is given an idea, and then states he'll be back as Lois was leaping from the jury uh, uh, box. Superman whooshes off and dives back under the rubble to reappear as a disheveled Clark Kent. Later on patrol, Superman plays... Uh, uh, plays annoyed Good Samaritan while taking a car that was out of gas to a fill-up station. Uh, suddenly, he hears Jimmy's signal watch and triangulates it to the Grand Canyon, where he's ambushed by Superboy and awakes to find himself in the kryptonite chains we saw on the cover. Superboy has devised a trial for the Man of Steel, the jury consisting of Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Perry White, Lana Lang, and Steve Lombard, with Superboy as the executioner. The jury objects and super and the super executioner threatens to kill them all instead. And Superman realizes that this can't be his younger self. He his his younger self couldn't be this evil and questions who he really is. And Superboy begins to tell him, "Well, I think you've probably figured it out that I'm not I am Superboy. I am you or at least I'm in Superboy's body." And uh, he begins to tell him how he's a rich man, and he was through his contacts. He was able to find Luther's lair and found two weapons that he thought would come in handy, one being a time time travel device and the other being a mind transfer machine. So he uses it, and he's able to pull Superboy to 1979 and then instantly switches bodies with Superboy and then begins... Uh, um, he, put, he reveals who he is and that he has put, put Superboy into the helpless human body of Pete Ross, to which um, Superman is stunned that Pete, his good friend, would do this to him. Pete Ross, the Superboy, turns to the jurors and says, All right, you've heard my story before Superman arrived, how he allowed alien monsters to kidnap my son and abandon him on their planet. What do you say? Does he, does this, doesn't this man deserve to die? And they all begin to tell him, well, you know, well, you know that Superman told me what really happened, Pete, how your son, John, is destined to grow up to be the warlord of that alien planet and lead their space fleet to save Earth. 
So you can't change destiny. He did what he had to do. They all say not guilty. And, of course, he says, I suggest you reconsider your verdict. Otherwise, I'll declare a mistrial and execute the jury, too. Ah, justice at its best. Meanwhile, back in Smallville, we see Pete Ross tied up, but it's actually Superboy in Pete Ross's body. And through various means of wrangling around in, in the uh, underground um, lab that he's in, he's able to free himself with the use of a Bunsen burner and cut the ropes. And then he goes to uh, starts to look. Um, he He gets out of the lab and realizes that he's in Smallville. So he heads off to uh, his old home, to where he believes his old uh, his old his old basement lab and his secret tunnel would be, uh, where all his weapons and everything he would use that he needs is there. And aha! Just like parents do when a son leaves, it's all gone. <laughs> the, there's nothing of use: a lamp, a few books, an old whistle, a souvenir too. But then he thinks he has something that might work. So now we cut back to in the Grand Canyon, and uh, Super Super Ross is still threatening the jury. They still refuse, and he decides, well, fine, I'm going to execute Superman anyway. And he fires the kryptonite shell towards Superman, and Superman, meanwhile, um, strains and gives his one last heroic burst of strength, and in that way, he's able to finally break break free of the chains, but unfortunately, he falls to the canyon floor, and um, Super Ross then fly, uh, decides, well, there's plenty more kryptonite left to kill him with. So he flies up, up into the sky, and does a little bit of, uh, I guess we could call it interstellar billiards, <laughs> and sets up a couple of bank shots to drop kryptonite down onto the Man of Steel, when out of nowhere, he's attacked by Crypto, the super dog. And uh, Crypto, of course, knows that this is that that this is not Superboy, and he's not having any of it. It starts beating his, just kicking his ass. And uh, yeah, Pete's like, oh, yeah, he knows I'm not Superboy. I can't stop it. He's he's pushing me away from the meteors, making me crash. So as he falls into the canyon, Crypto flies off. Meanwhile. Uh, Lois and uh, and the rest have freed themselves. Well, actually, excuse me. Let me let me run uh, back up. Uh, Crypto rushes over and releases his real master and friends, and they all get out. Uh, they free Superman fr- from the chains, and uh, Crypto jumps up on on Superman. And uh, there's only he says there's only one person that that uh, uh, who who could have done that and it's time we returned his body to him and they turn to pete and pete's basically disheveled he he can't speak and uh superman's don't even try i'm ready for now pete and even though i feel sorry for you for you you wouldn't stand a chance and he sits there and cries like a little boy a little beaten super boy so a few hours later in luther's lair um pete ross with in uh, the Superboy in the Pete Ross body um, is excited because actually he's actually meeting his future self. And um, so Superman puts them back in the mind transfer ray and transfers and then puts uh, sends Superboy back to his real time. And, um, and now Superman decides, well, 
I got to get Pete some help. <laughs> He's obviously off his rocker, and I'll find a cure for him somehow. And uh, like I said, this was an interesting story. I never knew that uh, Pete Ross. I mean, I always knew. My first experience with Pete Ross, uh, I'll be honest, was from the Smallville show. Now I know Scott's going to go. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, I was going to go really. Well, yeah, because I have honestly never read a lot of uh, a Bronze Age Superman. The only the only Bronze Age Superman comic that I even remember owning as a kid was one where Superman is locked up in some Supermax prison, and it uh, I think the like the like the name of the issue is like uh, prison at forty thousand feet or lock up at forty thousand feet, and there's some villain that has him locked up in in this. Supermax villain prison or here I, I that's all I remember about it and I, I haven't had a chance to find it yet but that's really I was really a Marvel person um, right so a lot of this a lot of the the Superman stuff is new to me and I do find it enjoyable but no I, I never knew that that uh, Pete Ross had turned against him like, like this now they're talking about his son and saying he's the warlord that's not the warlord in the comics no no no, no. okay no. not not that one you know the, the one I'm talking about. This you're, talking about the, yes. you're talking about the Middle Mike Earth? Yeah. No. Yeah. This, yeah the, was, the issue before this one, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Pete Ross's son actually knows Superman's secret identity. Right. And uh, okay. the issue before this one, the Legion of Superheroes basically tells Superman he's destined to be this warlord that's going to, I, I don't even remember the details, but like save a planet or save a, a race of people or something like that. And he needs to be raised by this pe the people on this planet in order for him to do that and fulfill his destiny. So against his own wishes, Superman allows this to go forward because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Uh, and then he sees Pete Ross at the end and he's trying to explain to him and Pete Ross can't accept it. And the story ends with him saying, you know, I'll make you pay for this somehow. And then this is the, the way he tries to do it. Well, Pete Ross always... here. Uh, so I know in pre infinite or pre flashpoint continuity, whatever Pete Ross was actually the vice president, wasn't he? In That's correct. Okay. For a short time, he was actually the president of the United States. Right, as well. when yeah. Luthor got booted, right? Yeah. So, and then I think the only reason that he, um, I guess you'd say lost the presidency, was that he was falsely accused of being the criminal ruin. And there was a lot of misdirect going on to try to make the reader believe that Pete was ruin, but eventually ruin was revealed to be somebody else. I want to say Professor Hamilton. I can't remember if I'm right or not, because that was an era that I both liked and loathed at the same time. So it was it was a really strange period to to be a Superman um, reader. So this Pete Ross here is he just a wealthy businessman, or did he was he a politician? Businessman. Businessman. No, he was a businessman. Businessman. Yeah. Okay. Now, to my recollection, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. If you if you remember differently, or, or somebody in the audience, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. See, as a kid, I, I was a big fan of Pete Ross as a Superboy fan because I I love Superboy comics, and I don't know that I ever owned the original issue where Pete learned Superboy's secret. But at some time, at some point in Superboy, um, 
he and Clark were part of the same, I don't know what it was, like Cub Scout troop or something, and they went on a camping trip. And something happened during the night, and Clark got up, and under cover of darkness, changed to Superboy and went off to deal with this emergency. And a lightning flash went off as he was doing this, and Pete was awake. And he saw this. He saw Clark change to Superboy and kept his secret. He never told anybody, including Superboy. He never told Clark or Superboy that he knew who he was. He just kept the secret to himself all those years. And that again, sounds I, pretty much the way I remember it all. Yeah, I, think, I think you're accurate on it. And I don't remember if um, if I ever owned the actual issue where that happened or, or just reprints, but the thing with Pete was he was one of those characters where every single time he would appear in a, in a comic book, they would tell you that story every single time so that you knew this is who Pete Rock... Because that was basically his claim to fame was that he was the kid that knew who Superboy was and never never spilled the beans to anybody. He just kept it his own secret. So, and the trope would be that he would always come up with excuses uh, for Clark to leave when there was an that's emergency. That's right. Yeah, he he covered for him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. It was kind of a kind of a Mary Jane thing going on there. You know, like Mary Jane Parker. I mean, anyway, mm-hmm. the the part that I, I wanted your help with, Paul, was I want to say that the issue prior to this, DC Comics presents thirteen, is the first time. No, it couldn't have been, though. I was going to say the first time we got adult Pete, but no, it couldn't have been because there was the issue where his son, John, learned who Super... No, I guess Superman revealed his identity to John as a reward for something. I don't remember what the story was, but I could tell you the cover of it. I I think it's an Action Comics issue, and it's got that cover that everybody makes fun of. It looks like Superman's... Yeah, yeah. You know, you say you're Clark Kent, it's a lie, something along those lines. It's got the kid, anybody out there who's been to that, what's the name of that, superdickery.com? <laughs> there, there's a website all about how Superman's I don't asshole, know that. basically. But <laughs> it sounds a, like a porn site. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, there's a famous cover that everybody likes to make their dirty little jokes about, of a boy, a, a small boy, hug, you know, looking at us, the reader, hugging a pillow while behind him, Superman is disrobing. It's a very disturbing <laughs> cover if you've got a perverted mind. But that's the issue where where John Ross learned that uh, that super you know that Clark Kent was Superman. So anyway, I was always the thoughts. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said people have such evil. Thoughts. Oh yes, they do. Yes, they, and I I mean I never thought of it until it was pointed out to me, and I was like, oh yeah, that's not right. <laughs> you know? But uh, anyway, as a kid, I was a huge fan of the prior issue to this because to me that was the first appearance of adult Pete Ross only because I'd missed that earlier issue. I, I don't think to this day I own that issue or I've ever read that issue. So my introduction to adult Pete was that story where it, it's basically, it's a, it, it was a team up between Superman and the Legion and this, all this stuff's going on with this alien race and all this stuff that doesn't at the time seem like it fits and then all of a sudden, there's a part where Superman goes back to the Daily Planet, and Steve Lombard tells him, hey, dude, you got somebody waiting for you in your office. He goes in there, and it's adult Pete Ross. And Clark's like, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. Man, I sure miss the old days. And, and Pete's basically like, yeah, I, I don't have time for that. I need you to go rescue my son. They've taken my son. And, and, and Clark's like, well, 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 I'll contact Superman. And, and Pete literally rips his shirt open and says, 
I don't have time for this. I know you're Superman. I've known it all my life, and I've protected your secret. Now it's time for you to pay back, you know, my my helping you by keeping your secret and covering for you. You know, go rescue my son, and it, it really set up this beautiful dilemma between Superman wanting to help, you know, this this childhood friend of his. And the Legion telling him, no, Superman, you can't help him. You can't go get the boy because this boy is destined to do something that shapes the future that we live in. You know, the, the, you know, the present for them is a thousand years in Superman's future. That, that won't exist if John Ross doesn't do what he's destined to do. So that's the dilemma in all this. And that's what causes this story where, where Pete takes over Superboy's body. And it took me years to track this issue down this is one of the first issues i went hunting for when like i started to discover comic shops you know in my teens and stuff because i had issue 13 but not issue 14 so i always wanted to know how did that issue end because i love that cliffhanger where at the end of it superman came to him and you know came to pete and was like i'm sorry i i can't change history i can't save your son and pete's pissed he's like well i'm gonna make you pay for this and that was the cliffhanger ending to the the prior issue to 13 right, so that sounds like a pretty good synopsis of the story and it's more detailed than my memory was but now that you say it it all sounds right well i, I went back and reread it because i i love that issue but it had been a long when i read this issue i was like all right now i'm really you know i'm into this story so i really want to go back and reread the prior issue so i read them both in preparation for this to kind of to bone up on it but the funny thing is is after i read this issue 14 I had a thought that, strangely, I never had as a kid reading this issue, which was, what comes next? I never even thought about that, that this issue ends where John Ross is still being raised by aliens. Pete Ross is now loony. So what happens next? I I never really thought about it before. So I looked it up, and sure enough, Pete gets committed to a mental institution, and... In DC Comics Presents number 25, spoiler, Superman changes his mind and goes and gets John Ross and reunites father and son. And that's pretty much that issue in a nutshell. There's never any mention of the Legion or Destiny or, you know, he can't change the future, any of the shit that's every plot point of these two <laughs> issues that set it all up. He just goes and does it. It's like he has a change of heart. Like, you know what? I just got to do the right thing. And he goes and he does it. And I just, I would have loved if there were consequences somewhere down the road where Superman realizes, Oh shit. <laughs> like he travels into the future and the Legion doesn't exist. Like the word, the world's like, the Terminator or something because he changed history and now the Legion doesn't exist. But it it just never it never. And what's weird, it's the same author for all three of those st- issues. So it's not like like Paul Levitt set this up and then like Joe Schmo comes in and goes, well that's stupid. I don't agree with that and has Superman go do the right thing. No, it's the same writer. So maybe one of these days I would love to be able to pick Paul Levitt's brain for, dude, what the hell? Because <laughs> it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But 
Well, maybe it is a great it, story nonetheless. It, it would have been good to have some repercussions to it and have it change the Legion somehow. Not necessarily even for the bad. Just have right. something change, and you know, you find out that that you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and a vacuum, and that somebody else ended up playing the role that John would have. But history now unfolded differently, and this is the way the Legion is now. You know, they all have three eyes or something. I, I, I like that because that's essentially what happened when Superboy was removed from continuity post-crisis. Then we got Valor basically took his... So, yeah, I like that idea. I like yeah. that idea a lot, actually. Well, why well, why didn't Superman just kiss Pete and make him forget? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't he just throw a big Superman symbol at him? It wasn't that kind of friendship. But I'll find a cure for him somehow. Give me a kiss. <laughs> Done. He's good. But now, on that last page, did he disintegrate Pete Ross? <laughs> I mean, what, what's really happening there? It does look like he's blowing up or something, doesn't he's it? He's like, okay, send me back to my body, and I'll be... <laughs> what? Because Superboy's body's still there, and Pete Ross is gone. You're no, right. no, Superman's body should be gone at that point. Because I, I think that, if I'm remembering the way it's written right, is as soon as... His mind goes back in, and he becomes a whole Superboy again. He can't exist in the same time and place as Superman, and that's right. What yeah, but Superboy the... didn't disappear in that picture. Pete Ross does. <laughs> that's my whole point. That's what kind of confused me when I was doing the read. Re- I'm like, but what? Why? What? You're right. Also, well, right. The wrong person is disappearing. Yeah. Picture. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. So what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, understand. I have a quick side story to tell because uh, I was a little distracted when I was... Re- is, this, is this a real life? Actually, this would be a real life as in it just happened right now. Oh, okay. So this would be real life <laughs> with Dr. Bill Robinson. It's current real life. Current real, real life. No flashback. Really real life. Really real life. Uh, when I was on the last, like the last four pages, my wife let the cat in to grab some food and i guess he didn't really want a to... euphemism no <laughs> <laughs> she let the cat in to eat and i guess the cat really didn't want to be in here so i see him out it of the corner so of my eye because the more you say the more it sounds like <laughs> this is getting really good so out of the corner of my eye i suddenly see the cat leap straight up and he and he hung himself <laughs> on this on the in the garage on this side <laughs> There's a screen on the window, so the cat just jumped up three feet in the air, and he's hanging there by his claws, looking out the window. My wife comes running up, opening the door, and the cat runs out, runs out of the garage because because she knows I'm, you know, because I'm recording, you know, you know, we're doing this, so she, she's trying to keep everything quiet. I'm like, I'm like waving, I'm like, get the get the cat, <laughs> get the cat out of here. I'm trying not to laugh. And, oh my god. My a tip of my hat to your wife though for actually caring that you wanted to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, where's all this kryptonite? There's just kryptonite floating around up in this up in space, and you can play interstellar billiards and just shoot it all back down. Yeah, it's probably one of the stupider moments is the interstellar billiards. And how can Pete Ross compute the trajectories right? I mean, does does he get Superboy super intellect? I mean, I mean, or maybe he just really knows how to play pool. Well, uh, I think. Mo- Go ahead, Scott. In, in stories like this, where they quote unquote swap brains, I always take it to mean that they they swap like like i don't know like souls for lack of a better word or or intellects 
So theoretically, you've got now Pete Ross's oh, yeah, okay, intellect yeah. in Superboy's at this time. Superboy or Superman actually did have super intelligence as one of his superpowers. That he had a super brain, if you will. So yeah, in theory, I, I guess he could have done mm. that calculation. But yeah, it's it's yeah, you're you're stretching by that point. Brain, I, I, brains, <laughs> super brains. I like. <laughs> Mm. I like Wachowski. Mm, they're delicious <laughs> with a little milk. I, I like where Superman breaks free of the chains that he's that he's being held with. He uses that his is last a great string. picture, yeah. And then he just drops like a stone. <laughs> I like that Crippo, cri- yeah, Crippo, 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 wheelchair guy, Crippo, wheelchair superhero. He's a dog with he's a dog with wheels on his back. Crippo the Super Cripple. No, Crippo the Super Dog tears Superboy a new asshole in this movie. Ah, <laughs> he is biting him right in the ass. Oh, yeah, he is. He's put him right in the ass. I always like the character of Crypto. I mean, I, I guess it's it's kind of silly, but I've always enjoyed when he makes appearances. Mm-hmm. I did, do did you? Did you... Uh, I guess I'm trying to remember who was writing it at the time. When, in not too long ago, the run of Action Comics, when uh, Gary F- Frank was drawing it, I, I guess it may have been uh, Johns, but I'm not sure. And they had they had a, a story where he used crypto in it, and they actually had thought balloons for crypto. And he like he comes and he you know Superman's in a tough moment, and he comes and he bites whoever the bad guy is. Mongol, and, right in the neck. Yes, I love and, that shit. In, yeah. in, in the thought balloon, he's, he's thinking, Crypto is a good boy. Good boy. <laughs> and I just really like that. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. Yeah, I did. That was great. Yep. Yeah, I like Crypto. I always had a soft spot. Because, you know, when, uh, when Superman family kind of hit the era that I remember best, you know, because really toward the end of the run, really, um, Crypto had his own strip for a while, and I'm trying to remember who the artist was, but I always liked the art. I always thought the art was really good, and the stories were pretty stupid, but they were fun, you know. From a you know whatever age I was at the time, you know, ten or what, eleven or whatever, <laughs> I enjoyed them. I, <laughs> I enjoyed them a lot. We covered some of them back when uh, Chris and I were covering uh, the uh, what do you call it? Night Nightwing and Flamebird stories on uh, Two True Freak. God, that was ages ago. But uh, I love that stuff. It was a lot of fun. Good stuff. You know, I'm I am not a, a Dick Dillon fan. I never really have been. His art has always been very off-putting to me. But I have to say, I, I enjoy pretty much start to finish this book. I really dig the art on this. That opening splash of Superboy smashing through the sign is just beautiful. That's mm-hmm. really really nice. Some of the inking is a little heavy-handed. I thought in it. Not terrible, but just a little heavy. Well, see, I like Giordano, and I think maybe that's part of the reason why I, I really enjoy the art in this. Is I'm, I actually see more Giordano in this um, than I do Dylan, which I guess does owe into you know what you said that the the inking is a little heavy-handed because yeah, I, I definitely see more of of uh, Giordano than than Dylan. But uh, I, I like the uh, the way he. Like when the faces are drawn lean, the way he does, mm-hmm. it, it just—I don't know. This, this something about like the very, very round, you know, moon pie faces that some of these artists draw that just takes me out of it a little bit. And the, the lean look, you know, for basically people who are supposed to be in top physical shape, just seems more on yes. target to me. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I like the I like the panel where uh, on page eight where Superboy is pointing out, you know, his hand is in is in the foreground there. You know, he says your sins have come back to haunt you, Superman. I I I, I think that's a pretty good shot there. Mm-hmm. I do think though that there are a lot of places in the book where if you're not following it closely, it could be hard to tell who's Superman and who's Superboy. They are drawn very similarly. But then again, I think that they are supposed to be of a, of a more or less comparable age by this point, too, depending on which Superboy this is supposed to be. You figure probably like a 17 or 18-year-old Superboy and a 25-year-old Superman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, kind of like a big brother, little brother thing, not a like a father and son thing. You know, in the 60s, when we were look, looking at like that, uh, the Kurt Swan drawing, but almost the Wayne Boring model, uh, that Superman looks like he's good forty years old. Yep. Yeah. This this does not look like a forty year old man. And and I prefer it not to be because you know forty is probably a little too old. I I like Superman at about thirty five. That seems to be to be about the right age. Yeah. I'll agree with that. I, I like Superman being. You know, he you can tell he's been at it for a while. He's inspired the other heroes. He he's. You know that sort of thing. He's he's been around. He's the granddaddy of the heroes, but at the same rate, I don't like Super Dad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is always what I felt like the the boring and uh, and Kurt Swan era Superman became over time because of his look, because of that barrel chested. He he was like Super Ralph Cramden or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just always kind of bucked me. You know? See, now I would read a comic with. Uh with the guy from that 70s show was Super Dad. He just looks at his son. Oh, yeah. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I don't want to do in this show? What's that? I don't want to talk about, like, what we did in our Iron Man one where we talked about our expectations for the movies. I don't want to talk about that in this one. And I think we'll... <laughs> and we'll so we will go. not. Because let's just hope it turns out to be a good movie, and that's all. Who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised. I forgot we were even doing a movie show. I was just talking about Superman. I would be very happy. Just to give you the one thought, I'm going to break the rule I just said. I'd be very happy if you see some sort of universe building, and that's that's as far as I'll go with it. I don't know. I'm going to go in. I, I My son wants to see it, so I don't know. We'll I see. respect I respect my friend Scott not seeing it because he expects to only be annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. I think that's you show more restraint and strength than I do. I'm like, well, but what if it's good? I gotta go see it, and then I see it and end up hating it half the time. But whatever. So I do not think since we are now at oh the almost two hours. Say well, let me let me just address one thing. I, I was I was just gonna keep my peace about this, but I will say one thing. Um I've taken a lot of flack about my stance on this movie. And uh maybe some of it's deserved, maybe it's not I don't know. That's that's for other people to decide. But I will say one thing that I think that I have been unfairly criticized uh unfairly criticized in one aspect, is that people keep saying over and over and over again, well, how do you know if you don't see it? Well, how do you know if you don't see it? Well, how do you know if you don't see it? I I call BS on that entire argument because every single time 
you see a movie trailer, you make a decision whether you're going to go see that movie or not. So, you know, I'm sure if you're a regular movie goer, you know, if you're of any age at all and you consider yourself a fan of the movies, there are movies that you looked at the trailer and you made a decision whether that movie, ooh, that looks really good, or ooh, that looks like shit. And that influenced you on whether you went to see that movie or not. So for people to continually give me grief about the fact that I've judged this movie based on the trailers, I think that's a very unfair thing to do because I have seen the trailers, I've paid a lot of attention to them, and I haven't seen anything that's changed my opinion that this is not a movie that I would enjoy. And that's the basis for my not going to see this movie. It's as simple as that. Now, and, and I'm going to step in, Scott, for a second. I, I'm going to defend the masses a little bit to you here. Because I don't think people are watching you and saying, hey, you know what? Look at the bear. Let's poke it and see it growl a little bit. Oh, I don't I think do. that's what's happening. Oh, I and, I, and I think... Do. I do think there's, there is a contingent that does do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say... I'm not defending everybody. Is that a heartbeat or something? It's no. a poke. I'm poking the bear. Oh, okay. I didn't get, really get that. I thought maybe you were having a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think there's that contingent out there. I think there are more people who are quietly respectful of your decision not to see it, that you're just not seeing them because they're not posting anything. But I think there are a, a there is a significant portion of the audience or friends out there who do respect your opinion, and for better or worse, whether you like it or not, just would like to hear your opinion on it eventually and are disappointed that they're not going to. And and I don't think everybody's out there just trying to, you know, treat you as a circus act here. No, I no, I, I agree with you. I don't think that either, honestly. I there are, you know, as you say, there is the contingent. Um, but no, I do know because I have been contacted by people, you know, and, and spoken to people that have said Dude, you know, I think that's awesome. Or, or you know, just simply, I respect that. You know, and I appreciate that that they do. It's, it's the ones that that honestly seem like they want to fight. Those are the ones that upset me. Those are the ones that kind of you know because these are people that you know are, are, we're supposed to be friends, and that you know I don't like that. Nobody likes that. You know, nobody likes fighting with their friends, and you know. This is all for fun, and it's all supposed to be entertainment. So it's not something we should we should be fighting about. I mean, you know, if people legitimately want to fight with me, I can come up with you know some really good topics that we can legitimately fight about that you know that are important subjects. You know, in in the real world, you know, why should we fight about our escapist fiction? It just seems kind of silly to me. But no, I just want to to clarify that because. Uh, you know, it keeps. It seems to keep coming up that people. It seems like people need or, or, or want this bigger explanation from me. Like, like that's not good enough. That you just look at a, a trailer. Or, you know, for for lack of a better way to put it, that I've judged a book by its cover doesn't seem to be a, a legitimate argument for people. And I argue that we do it every single day. All of us do. We all look at something and decide whether we want to engage in that, whatever it is, TV show, book, magazine, movie, anything, 
by something we've seen about it. You know, you either pick up the book because you go, oh, that looks interesting, or you don't. And that's the case with this movie for me. It's as simple as that. I've seen the trailers and I go, nah, I don't think so. And I've made a conscious decision that I'm not really interested. And to be continually, you know, to have it continually regurgitated, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but it just gets really annoying because I try my level best. I won't say I never do it, but I try my level best not to be one of those people that when I find out that somebody doesn't dig something that I'm really into to be to suddenly preach at them about it. Like, oh, well, you don't like such and such. Well, what episode did you see? Or, you know, well, maybe you should try this or maybe because people do that crap to me all the time, especially like, say, with anime, because they know that I can't stand the shit. And they're always going, what ones have you seen? What movies, you know, how much exposure have, what difference does that make? I'm telling you, I don't like it. So why are you trying to to force me to, you know, to like it? And that that bugs me. But anyway, I've said more about it than I I ever expected or thought I should. So I'm just. Yeah, I I mistakenly thought I was just going to dismiss the topic (laughs) and we were going to go on and I I ended up bringing us into it instead of that. No, I really didn't. I really did not. And then, you know, I mean, it's like I said, I respect that. And and I think your example of anime is perfect for it because I know there's people who love anime and I'm sure there are things about it that are wonderful, but I have no interest in it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that's as far as it goes. I have no interest in it. I'm not, I have enough things that I'm interested in. I don't need anime. So I can, I can relate that to your stance on Superman, not Superman, the character, but Superman, the movie currently coming out. Uh, and I'm more curious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more curious on the Superman movie, even though I have tremendous reservations as to whether I'm going to like this movie at all. Uh, but I'm curious and I know my kids want to see it, so I'm going to go see it with them and then I'll, you know, I'll do my best to keep an open mind. If I think it's wonderful, I'll come back and I'll report that it's wonderful. And, uh, if you were to hear that and say, Hey, you know what? Then I wanted to see it because I heard how great it was. That's fine. If you heard, said, I don't care that you thought it was wonderful. I hated it. You liked Star Trek, you idiot. Uh, you know, I'm okay with you thinking that too. Exactly that too. I'm okay with you thinking that as well. (laughs) Have you listened to the Star Trek one yet, Scott? The one we did? I did. I did. I, I enjoyed it very much, and it uh, it helped reaffirm my decision not to go see that movie. <laughs> you know what? Having seen it and knowing you as I do, I saw it. I enjoyed it, and I walked away when you know when I thought of you. I said Scott would not like this. There's no point in saying, "Hey, Scott, you should see this," because I know you won't like it, and it'll only annoy you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I thought differently, I would tell you differently, and you'd probably still ignore me and pat me on the head. But that's besides. Well, <laughs> you know, one thing that it, that. It's funny, this this seems like this should have occurred to me a long time ago, and strangely, it it was a fairly recent thought, was that I'm hoping, so long as the franchises survive and can weather weather this storm, you know, to sound really goofy, but so long as they can weather this period and eventually deliver material closer to what, I enjoy and what I like, and I'm talking a, a myriad of different properties, not just Superman, but say Superman, Star Trek, you know, a, a number of different things that I feel have have gone far afield of the versions of them that I like. 
so long as those franchises survive long enough to eventually deliver something that that you know I can get back into, I've kind of come to the 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 realization um, that I guess ultimately it's going to be all right because. I, I'm a huge Superman fan. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. You know, a huge Batman fan. However, those properties existed before me, and there are large swaths of all those properties that are complete blind spots to me. I haven't seen every Superman movie. Now, I'm not talking like Christopher Reeve. I've seen all of those, but I mean, there's movies of Superman from way on back that I don't think I've seen. I haven't seen all of, say, like, The Adventures of Superman television show. I've seen a lot of it, but I haven't seen all of it. You know, there's uh, there's probably an, an entire years of Superman comics and stuff that I, I'm completely blind to. So Superman is one of those characters, I think, that is large enough that it's really hard for one person to say, oh, I'm an absolute authority, because there's, there's a 75-year history that goes beyond just the the medium that birthed him there's the you know the films and the tv shows and the animated stuff all this stuff so i know that there's a ton of it that i'm still completely unaware of or you know blind to so one movie i don't feel so bad for skipping one movie you know when there's other stuff that i i haven't seen yet either so you know, so that, that's well, I'm well, personally justifying it to myself. Well, we're going to see Superman, Man of Steel, and maybe liking it, maybe not. You can watch Superman versus the Atom Man and maybe like it, and maybe not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's a pretty fair way of looking at it. Absolutely. So everybody, get off Scott's case, man. <laughs> get off my back. Get off my lawn. <laughs> You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent ya! <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway from the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the daily planet look up on the screen it's superman superman the movie